if I had a title to this message, it is Guidelines to Building, which is what Clayton had in his message. And we're going to go talk through a few things that he mentioned, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of perspective, and that's all I'm hoping to do. And, and this perspective, as I said, is looking back over the last 19 plus years. And I'd like to think that I've learned a few things in 19 years. And I have a couple of observations that I wanted to start with before I actually got into the particular points. And, and the first one, I, I need to read a verse before I give you the observation, but it's from Psalm 127, verse 1. And it's going to get up there. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. And there certainly was labor. There still is. Different types, different capacities. Neither one is better than the other over the course of the years. But without him, all of our labor is vanity. It's vanity. Out of everything that we could have imagined that we accomplished by labor, by toil, without him, it's just mere vanity we would have actually accomplished nothing of consequence without him. That's just an observation. Observation number two. There were difficult times, to be sure. There were times that the fate of the church were, was hanging in the balance. Ken can tell you stories of that. And we, we lived through that, and there were struggles and the Bible talks much about trials and tribulations that you should actually rejoice in them. And one of the things that is great to have as perspective is just the passage of time. And it's true in, in the context of this church, it's going to be true in your life if not already, is that oftentimes the struggles that you have, the, the trials that you go through and have to walk through, sometimes you don't realize the significance or why the trial was there until you saw what happened down the road, what was at stake. And to be sure, there are things that I see in our present and certainly a different perspective looking into the future, but some of these things that I see in the present now, I was like, ah, now I can appreciate what was at stake in the struggles of the past. We do not take for granted at all anything of our togetherness, the literal atmosphere in this place, the presence of God, which Clayton spoke much and has a value that was retained as a non-negotiable for both Ken and Clayton. I honor them for that. And I look at what we get to experience today and that just helps me frame a perspective of why some of the struggles existed. Because we're living in some of that victory, the fruits of that victory. And there's more to come to be sure. And associated with that, I'm, I'm just grateful that he sustained us through it. I had this picture come to my head when I was thinking about reflecting back over the last 19 years. And they weren't better days, let me just say to you that. It's, it's not about the past was better. No, it's like, no, our future is always better than the past. But when I think through some of the trials and some of the toil, I kind of had to you know, be a little bit humorous about it 
you know, because I thought of a parent with a child. And if you're a parent, you know how this kind of works, that, you know, children are growing and they're learning and doing new things. And there's many situations where a parent is standing behind the child and it's like this complex thing and they're kind of orchestrating everything so that the child can succeed and the child succeeds and the child feels like they did it all. It's kind of like that. The hand of God and what he has orchestrated, we got to partner with that, but he did it. That's the context of Psalm 127.1. It is, one way to think of it is that he has stacked the odds in our favor. And I trust your theology is big enough to recognize that truth. He is for you. He is not against you. And yes, trials will come, but he's stacking the odds in your favor. And I feel like that's just part of the perspective that I have as I look in the history of our church. And it's, I'm looking more forward to what's to come than reliving the old days. So that's a little bit of observations about our history. But I do want to talk to you about four th- aspects that Clayton brought out about guidelines to building. The first one is God is spiritual. And John 4, 24, he had this verse up as one of the many lists of spiritual aspects. It says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This verse for me is a profound verse in its simplicity and how it challenges my thinking about God and the things of the spirit. You know, because the word worship is reverence. That's what it speaks about. And when it says God is spirit, that's such an illuminative thought to me because I ponder in my mind, so what is the native language of the spirit? I ask myself these types of questions. And I put it almost as it, like a language. You know, because I could say to you that I'm not native, but I am Japanese. But if I was a truly native Japanese person, what language would I speak? Japanese. So when the Bible says God is spirit, the way he wants to communicate, the way he does communicate, the way he wants to communicate with us is a spiritual language. And it's helpful to frame it in such a basic way. Why? Because... if you can appreciate that there is a spiritual language, then it's also helpful to know what is not a spiritual language. And there's language of the soul. Your mind, your rational thinking, your emotions, that's part of who you are, but that's not the language he speaks. And it's a fair question for all of us to be asking ourselves, so how would we perceive it? And actually the more interesting question is who is being perceived? One of the reasons why it is a value in Free Life Church about the presence of God is because that's an element of the perception. In God's revelation, and there's a reality to his revelation to you individually of who he is. And we've we've had so many feedback, so much feedback over the years about what people experience when they come into an environment such as this. And it's goes beyond their particular background and even preparation. 
And it's commonly said that when people come into this environment, they sense something different. For some, they start to weep. For some, they reach, achieve a clarity. For some, they feel like they've come home. And that's a perception that is occurring as part of a spiritual language as you begin to perceive him. We used to pray quite frequently, you know, before the service, you know, which we met in the Loudoun County High School for 14 years. But one of the common prayers that we had, and it's just language to a degree, but still representing a value of who we are. And we used to pray this almost weekly. At least that's what I, my recollect, recollection was. That people would come not to see a man, but to meet with him. That was our heart's desire for this body. To be sure, a man will be speaking. A man could be on the stage, but there comes a time when that man sits down and God takes center stage and it is him that people perceive and him to which they give honor and glory to. And that's just all part and parcel of experiencing the presence of God. We desire that for you. We desire that to be part of who we are. This notion of spirituality is a confusing one because it can seem somewhat removed from maybe how you see yourself. Maybe it's something that you would attribute to the experts that they understand how to be spiritual. And the presence of God in the reality of what it is is a great equalizer because God meets you exactly where you're at. There's no program that he's running that you, there were prerequisites like a college course where you had to take a prerequisite before you could take the next course. It's not like that. God meets you exactly where you are. And spirituality, in a sense, even in the context of this room, there is always an invitation that he puts forth to you. And the practical keys, that, and I'm just trying to give you some very practical handles to working this out as one of the pillars of building. Say yes to his invitation. Say yes. And that invitation is going to come to you in so many different forms. And you might ask yourself, well, how? Like, what, what does this look like? One of the ways that reverence occurs naturally when you give honor and we give honor to him. It's in our thoughts, it's in our words, and it's in our actions. And specifically, what am I saying? In our thoughts, how we think about him. There is an invitation in the presence of God where what you might have thought been true about God is being challenged. That he's good. That he's for you. That he's working on your behalf. That he's taking care of things even though the problems are all you see. He's working behind the scenes. There's not one detail of your life that he's has escaped it. 
the one who moves amongst nations is intimately familiar with every personal detail of your life. There's an invitation in your understanding of who he is and how he sees you. Say yes. Say yes to him. As you do that and as your thoughts and maybe misconceptions and really lies begin to be dismantled as you accept his truth, that's going to change what comes out of your mouth. And when, when once what comes out of your mouth changes, the actions that you take will now change. The yeses that I'm asking you to be attentive to, to his invitation, will stack up. One of the observations that I've seen just working in and amongst people is that most people put those invitations at so high of a category that they dismiss, in a sense, all the little yeses along the way. God meets you exactly where you're at. And his invitation in the what you might see to be an imperceptible yes to just to turn an example would be how about we spend some time together how about you think about me in this situation and saying yes to that begets further yeses and those yeses stack up all those little yeses in your life stack up and you will find that those yeses are part of the foundation of your life. So I encourage you, when the invitation comes to you, be it in an environment like this, in your personal life, say yes. Say yes to him. You can certainly say no, and he'll never push himself upon you. That's not the way he works. We have no concept of royalty, unfortunately, but if an invitation from royalty came, you would give it a slightly different view of whether to say yes to. But he's given you freedom to say no. Please say yes. Number two, God is organizational. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 30, is what Clayton had as a verse. God is not a God of disorder but of peace. And disorder, what is spoken about there is instability, a state of disorder, disturbance, confusion even. Nobody wants that. But of peace. He's not a God of disorder, but of peace. And the context of that verse is a church meeting. That's the very context of that, church, of that verse in 1 Corinthians 14. And so when you say God is organizational, one of the particular aspects that I just wanted to emphasize, which we're playing out on a weekly basis, is we are intentionally trying to facilitate the presence of God here. I told you about the value of the presence of God, but to facilitate the presence of God in our meeting, that is a value and it is a focus. I told you that we met in the Loudoun High School, Loudoun County High School for 14 years, I think. We were trying to do the math and trying to think it through, like about 14 years, and it was no picture of <laughs> a great experience in a sense. 
you know, between setup, takedown, the mad rush, snow, ice, moving chairs, putting up curtains, you know, trying to get the sound set up so the worship team can do their thing. I mean, it was just labor, right? And after all of that is done, we set aside some time to pray for the service. And I told you an example of one of the prayers that we had. But one of the things that we just had to deal with, because we were there as a very part-time custodian of the space in a two, three-hour window of time, and 90-some percent of the time, there's all this stuff that happens in high school. So we learned a lot. Spiritual perception of what's going on in the atmosphere. Warfare sometimes, just to get it to like level zero. And to be sure, we had times where the presence of God was particularly strong, but we had to be very intentional about taking control of the space in the spiritual environment, perceiving what was going on, perceiving, God, what do you want to do during this time, and pushing into it. 14 years of that. And we did warfare sometimes, got it up to the place where, you know, God could do some stuff in a sense. It's not totally dependent on us. Don't hear what I'm not saying. And then you come back the following week, it's like, oh, we're starting over again. <laughs> God is so good, though. But now we have our facility such as this. And the great thing about it is we take everything that we learned, everything that we value, and now we do it here. And now we can exercise dominion. And particularly what we get to do, which is what the language Clayton used, is that he talked about a value and prophetic words about a base church and, and a beachhead. Well, this is that. Is that we are now taking dominion over the space. It's not having to do something over every week, but we take, take dominion and we can grow in that as we establish a beachhead here. So that there's peace in this house. I had the privilege this past week as I was preparing, just nobody's here. And I'm just walking around the sanctuary, just talking to God and saying, God, what do you want to do this Sunday? And I just so enjoyed it because it's just the, nobody's here, there's no worship, but just the feel and the atmosphere was just conducive to just me fellowshiping with him. That's what it's, what, what's at stake. And practically, what can you do? It is our desire here that there would be peace in this house. And when there's peace in a house, be it your home or any place that you're at, it's as if there's a place of refuge. You can recharge, become re-envisioned. We intentionally want this place to facilitate that for you. So when you come into an environment such as this, and you, in a sense, aren't oppressed by all the things that want to get at and be in opposition to what God has for you, take what you gain here with you out there. It's not about us creating a singular physical space 
that is everything. No. It's no different from just a home. A home is a refuge. A home is a place that you come in, get refreshed, re-envisioned, so that when you go out there, you can actually deal with what's out there. The same would hold true for this. What you gain here, take it with you out there. Number three, God is relational. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one because I just, there's some aspect of this that I just feel like God is emphasizing and highlighting. And I've got a number of verses from Genesis, but what God meant, uh, well, I'll get to that, but what Clayton did in introducing this aspect of building he said his, God's first concern with man was a relational concern. Relationship was broken. And God did, which is the gospel, of restoring that relationship. God is relational. And in Genesis, it's quite interesting to look at God's blueprint for what his intention was pre-fall of man. Right? There's four verses that I wanted to take you through. It can help you to perceive what's happening today. Genesis 1, 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And that's speaking of, he didn't say that about the animals, that the animals were made in his image. You were. And there's an innate ability that he built into you to know him and relate to him. That man was intended to operate in relationship with God, not independent from God. And there's a very dignity, essence of the dignity of man that secular humanists would want to devalue and destroy. But that's who you are. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them little bit of an attack on that, wouldn't you say? Attack on gender. Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Biblical marriage. A little bit of attack on that. Genesis 1.28, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. It's talking about family now. So God's intention, interestingly enough, God's intention pre-fall of man, this is God's intention for how the human race would, was to be. It's not a mention of a church here. God made man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. They shall become one flesh. They shall be fruitful and multiply. God's plan was family. Just laid out right there. His intention pre-fall. That was his intention. And it struck me as I put all those four together, which are really basic ideas, is that in as much as that's the blueprint for what God's intention was to exercise dominion over the earth, that's exactly the blueprint that the enemy is undermining. 
like now that it's there, like okay. Secular humanism, attack on gender, attack on marriage, attack on family. I say that not to get you riled up about the perceived injustice about where our social conversation is. That's not the point. My point was is that it should help you understand why everything is happening the way it is. God created a blueprint. Enemy, God, God makes the man and the enemy undermines man. What's happening? So it's an attack on family. So I wanted to talk about family. This is why I wanted to just hold it up before you. Two weeks ago, I was in the children's church. And, you know, there are some curriculum things that we do, but one of the things that I, I just, I couldn't, I, I told Marie, I was like, I just can't get this out of my head that as I was looking forward to just ministering to the children on that side of the wall, I just felt it was important to encourage them to honor their parents. I just couldn't get it out of my head. And the particular thing, and some of you with parents probably even, rem if you, hopefully you read it, right? We had a craft that we prepared. But the, the basis of me doing that was this notion that I I just, in honoring their parents, I wanted to turn the hearts of the children to their parents. That was my intention. And that's why I wrote what I did on the sheet. If you got one and had some things that the children were effectively thanking their parents for. And we helped facilitate that. But the notion was that by honoring their parents, there was an ability to turn the hearts of the children to the parents. That's why... That's just what was in my heart. And then last week, Ken preached, and he had all of the 10 to 25-year-olds come up, and there were a lot of them. There were a lot of them. And effectively what he did was the other side of the coin, was to turn the hearts of the parents to the children. I'm a pretty simple person sometimes. And I'm like, wait, God, so two weeks ago, you put in my heart to turn the hearts of the children to the parents, and then the following week, you're turning the hearts of the parents to the children. That gets my attention. That really gets my attention. There is a battleground, and there is an attack on homes and family. And my interest for us is that it would be strengthened. Family would be strengthened. Because the enemy, as I just showed you in looking at the blueprint in Scripture, the enemy is undermining every aspect of that foundation of family, from the dignity of man to gender, right, to marriage, and now parenting. Crazy that Lowney County is ground zero for this social issue of who exactly is the parent? I mean, whose kids are they? Fascinating. I'm not here to tackle social issue per se, but I, I am here 
to strengthen families. And I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the children over there. And they're a harder audience than you, by the way. Ephesians 6, verse 2 says this and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. That was the verse that I talked to the children about on the other side. And I got to ask them a question after telling them what the verse of the day was. And I said to the children, so I have a question. I like to ask questions. And the children are giving me their attention. Praise God. And I said to them, so do you think, me as a teacher, do you think I want things to go well with you or bad with you? Open question. Who's going to raise their hand? One kid raises their hand. And they're thinking, is this a trick question? I mean, like, I've got the mic. Do you think we want it to go well with you or not? Kid, raise a hand. Well? I said, okay. Anybody else? Ask another. Anybody else have a, want to answer this question? I picked on a couple kids, by the way, and, and I asked them the same question. And just their response, they're looking at me like, am I missing something? Is this like a trick question? Because, yeah, they probably think I'm a lawyer or something like that, so I'm trying to trick them. And they wouldn't be wrong, totally, by the way. But invariably, the kids were, of all the answers, I can assure you, parents, that of all the answers I got from the kids, they trusted me that I wanted things to go well with them. So good job, parents. And I said, well, if that's true, now you might want to understand why I'm asking you to honor your parents. Or you don't believe the Bible. So to you, I want things to go well with you. And if it's going to go well with you, then now I can encourage you without any form of legalism but the heart behind it is, honor your parents. Honor your parents. Some are easier to honor than others. I get that. But there's no condition to honor other than they're your parents. That's the only condition. If they're your parents, honor them. You do that, I think we can trust God that his word will not be mocked. It will go well with you. If it goes well with you, your family will become strengthened. Practical takeaway. You are easier than the kids, by the way. Number four, God is missional. Genesis one twenty-eight, completing the verse... Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. The emphasis is family. And it is, there is a temptation 
And we all hope our church is a great church. And there is a temptation that the church becomes all of your experience. And we want you to have a good experience. But let's put proper things in perspective. As I said, it's kind of a challenging thing to look at Genesis and he's kind of, God's giving his blueprint for how he wants to exercise dominion of the earth and extending his kingdom, which is his domain and his family. We want to facilitate that as a church. Not to the exclusion of what happens in your home. Your homes are key to taking the city. There's a lot of different types of warfare. One of the types of warfare that becomes quite apparent and instructive is guerrilla warfare in the context of a city. It's not carpet bombing, you know, scorched earth. No, it's like house-to-house combat. Your homes are the key to taking the city. I hope you can accept that because to the degree that this church is a beachhead to facilitate the presence of God and the things of God, and my encouragement is for you to take what you receive here and take it out there, is that your homes have an opportunity to be the same in your community, in your neighborhood. This is not theory, by the way. This really is as about as basic of a message that you've already know and you could probably preach to me about being salt and light. See, a beachhead in your community looks like this. To the degree to which the degree to which peace reigns in your house, and it's not one of disorder, but now one of peace. Do you think that if your house or home abode there was a tangible atmosphere of peace in it, do you think people would be impacted if they came into your house? I think so. I did a survey amongst our leaders, and I asked them a very particular question, because your homes are not just anywhere, by the way. I mean, you know where your address is, I get that. But your home is not in Montana. Your home is in this area, be it Virginia, Maryland, but it's in this area. So I asked the leaders a question that was, I was just curious about, and I asked them, so how would you characterize the culture of this area? Like, every area has a slightly different culture. There's different ruling spirits in the area if you want to be spiritual about it. But the point is, is that you live in an area and there are particular attacks in your area with respect to people. So the particular struggles that people have are a little bit indicative of the area. I hope you're tracking with me with this idea. So I asked the leaders, so how would you characterize the area, the culture. So they each, I told them, you have to tell me three things. So they did, and I tallied up the score to identify what exactly is characteristic of our area. And these are the three things 
that in the totality of their answers rose up. It's a scientific survey, by the way. You can trust it. Three words. Number one, busyness. I hate that word. Because I find myself, I caught myself so many times that I use the word busy. Too close to home. Too close to home. So number one, busyness. Number two, worldliness. And number three, isolation. Accept this scientific survey for what it represents. But the three words, busyness, worldliness, and isolation are particularly acute in this area. These are the issues that are going to see manifesting and people are going to struggle with in your area. Keep that in mind. Because when people enter your home and they marvel at an environment that's like, wait a minute, I'm not used to this. That will give you an opportunity to speak into their lives. And I just want to talk about one of them because it's something that, as I said, part of this perspective is me looking back at the 19 plus years of being a part of this church. Let's talk about busyness. I'm self-convicted by it because I, like, I, I hear it coming out of my mouth and I hate it. One of the things this is a practical takeaway for you as you examine how you can operate in a spirit opposite to the spirit of the world. Opposite. That's the best way to counter it, by the way. And I'm picking on busyness. In our time in this church, one of the things I've observed both in myself and people in this church in coming into the things of God availability when space is created in your life it is amazing to me how God moves in and cooperates and operates with your availability I see it in my own life I've seen it in others as I've observed. You know, I'm not that old where I could say, I was young, but now I'm old, and this is what I've observed. I'm not that old. But I have observed a few things along the way. And where there's an intentionality by people to create space and room in their lives, it is astounding to me what God does with that. And that happens to be the exact opposite of one of the ruling spirits of the area, which is busyness. If you feel judged by that, the reason why I'm telling you this is like, you live in this area, and to the degree that these things are indeed some of the ruling spirits that are acutely impacting the people of area, you have to recognize this as, in a sense, like the force of gravity. If you live in this area, you're subject to the force of gravity in this area. It's not your fault. You live in this area. so. The degree to which you chose to live in this area by the calling of God or whatever, your family lived there, well, that's what's its fault. You live in this area and there is a force of gravity that's going to weigh on you, which is the forces of the world. And you will, to the degree, to some degree, 
be influenced by it. And your only avenue is the Spirit of God. To resist the forces that would want you to be busy, to be worldly, to be isolated. That's just a weight that's going to hang on to you. No different from the force of gravity pulling you down. It's a force. Just recognize it. And via the Spirit of God, that's the only way, as Ken has used an example, but for the hand of God, this will fall. So how do we do this? Say yes to his invitation. So going back to where we started, say yes to his invitation to spend time with him, to think about him, to recognize him, to cooperate with him. That's all it is. I may have more to say about families and homes, but I do believe that God's highlighting this area. We know that there's a, an acute attack on the foundation of families and homes, and we're, so we're not unaware of that. And we're trusting God for strength in these areas. And there's takeaways even from our time this morning that was just fantastic that you can take with you out there. So, we're going to close. I'd just love if you just stand up. I'm just going to pray just to end. I'm three minutes over time. I apologize. Adults are way more graceful than kids. So, all right. If you could do this, just close your eyes. It's a weighty instruction. Actually, Do you have anything? Not? Yes. I just, I looked at you and I'm like. Sorry. Just to encourage you, when you read the Gospels, you'll see most of Jesus' ministry came through interruptions. Most of his ministry. He was going somewhere and somebody interrupted him. He was going to heal, somebody interrupted him. It says a lot about, and he never pushed them aside. He said, okay, let me deal with this. Just to encourage you. So don't see interruptions at times as a negative. Sometimes God wanted to grab our attention. That's what I'm saying. Awesome. Very good. Just looked at him like, he might have something. Of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is authority. There is no name under heaven by which men are saved. It is your name that every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. It is the name of Jesus that everything bows and is submission to. And I proclaim that name the name of Jesus over every household represented here. 
Your name is as a banner that hangs over every house and family represented here. And in the name of Jesus, I declare protection. I declare clarity and peace in their homes. For every home represented in the name of Jesus, let peace settle. Let peace remain. Let the very peace of God be so tangible that they could not help as they lay down, as they rise up, as they come in, and as they go out. That the very presence of God will bring a clarity of thought. And we take authority over any voice that would seek to diminish your name i take authority in the name of jesus and i say let peace rest on the minds and the hearts of your people thank you lord you are good and we honor you thank you lord amen thank you Dwayne. Thank you for giving him a hand. I was going to ask you to do it anyway. He deserves it. The focus of the presence of God is why we do anything we do here. Anything. Dwayne, thank you for putting such an emphasis on that. That's wonderful. Thank you for coming. Thank you for visiting. Thank you for being here for a long time. Uh, not today. I mean, in the span of time. There will be a ministry team over here to pray with you if you would like prayer. Um, have a wonderful afternoon. And don't, don't melt. Don't get too hot. It's going to be hot. We love you. Be blessed. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We are glad you've joined us today. We would love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us, any needs or comments you may have, or how we can connect with you. To submit a card, simply scan the QR code on the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you are a first-time visitor, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. We look forward to meeting you. Have you made the decision to follow Christ but have yet to be baptized? If you would like to take that next step in your faith, you can sign up now for our water baptisms hosted on August 7th at the Pools Home in Leesburg. Follow the QR code here or go to our events page to register. On Saturday, August 13th, One Hope Ministries is holding their annual back-to-school fiesta. Help support this amazing ministry by providing needed folders and notebooks or sponsor a child's backpack by donating online. One Hope Ministries is also in need of volunteers for the day of the event. Please visit our events page for more information and to volunteer. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving and we invite you to give toward the work God is doing. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here with your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. We thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of upcoming events and important announcements by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. Remember, to learn about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.